0: Machine Partner's Podcast. <laughs> I really like you? that character. Like, who who is he? Me, um, his backstory. name
1: is Jeremy. <laughs> and Jeremy used to live on the backside of a very small house. And... At that small house, he had a job, and the job was picking up sticks. You know what? We'll
0: workshop and this whole he thing was picking up sticks
1: for a long time. You don't want to hear this anymore. <laughs> I think um, it's very confusing. Yeah, it, it, it's it's got
0: it's got its ups and downs.
1: I can't even remember the voice anymore either. So I'm just I was I was trying to revisit the voice, even to be like maybe I will know. <laughs> I just felt like Jeremy was a very
0: young name before the character. Oh my god! Okay. Daryl, I just, I just, I just want to back up a little bit and say that I heard you correctly. Daryl, like past tense of Daryl, Daryl
1: eats nothing but Vienna sausages, he, and it has affected his larynx, and he's now, he's now two octaves too low. All right, he's love it. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Really into those potted meats. What you been up to? Oh, uh, um, I just enjoy life as much as I possibly can. I'm planning a fall festival, which is just great for me because it's my favorite, absolute favorite time of year. Yeah. Um, what really though, I, I really want to know, and I feel like um everybody listening wants to know, is what are you listening to, Chris? That's right.
0: Let's see. I listen to. Mostly audiobooks at this point. I'm deeply entrenched in one. And then I'm about to uh, start another one right after that. But um, when I'm not, my weeklies are Play, Watch, Listen, which is a video game podcast with a video game director, composer, Uh actor, Uh and Uh writer. So you kind of get like all the aspects of that. And then... You know, you don't think. That's the most insulting thing you've ever said to me. That's my...
1: That's my that's, my, uh, that's my Jiminy click it. You know, <laughs> it's amazing how you don't think. Um, uh, you don't think about people actually writing the video games. Yeah. I just, I never think about that. Like, oh, somebody sat down and was like, here's this story, and I'm going to write it for a video
0: game? Or is it like here's a thing that we're gonna turn into a video game it's it's so much more than that because you have um narrative directors who are like seeing the overarching thing that you have to play through yeah i guess that's what's insane to me is i think just the
1: amount of storyline that you have to actually cover
0: but the thing you don't think about a lot of times is like side quests Mm -hmm. that are in the game and then you also um don't consider all of like the little notes or the little voice memos and things that you pick up along the way as you're Playing the game.
1: I'll tell you what I think about only one hundred percent think about side quests. That's like the only thing that's ever on my mind. (laughs) There's not a single main objective happening. I definitely feel like that right now. (laughs) There's not a single main objective in my world. It's just a hundred percent side quest. Like when will I get back to the main (laughs) storyline? I really, need to, I really need to get promoted in some sort of way. Am yeah. i going to get, new get new skills?
0: 2018, and I'm just like... I need to get some new skills, down. man. What is the deal? But you know what I did, um, only because you had mentioned it, um, uh, was the Jonathan Van Ness episode of the Dax Shepard show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was controversial in its own rights. But then I also listened to the Carrie Washington one, which was the week later. Mm-hmm. Um, and she mentioned something and talked about something that I found so interesting on such a an intellectual level that i actually relate a lot to what she said insofar as she talked about how she never felt like she was the main character of her own narrative
1: oh it's interesting
0: and i thought oh well that's i i super relate to that where it's like i don't really think of
1: yourself as the sidekick
0: yeah i think in almost everything
1: oh that's so interesting
0: but i feel literally the boss at your company i yeah exactly (laughs) but i always feel like i'm sort of the i'm here to serve my employee's story (laughs) (laughs) but but more that it's not like i want to be the steve carell character in my own life i just feel like i'm the rain wilson if you will
1: yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, Steve Carell started off as a sidekick, so maybe there's hope. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to get a I I love lamp. Brick, are you just saying things that you love? That's interesting. You went to Brick. I was thinking of Bruce Almighty. That's, what I, that's where I went to first. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's the full mm-hmm. fruition of side yeah, I mean, to front. I feel front. like that's, that, that is 100% true. Um, also, little known fact, Steve Carell as the head waiter, zero lines in Curly Sue. True. I don't know if anybody knows what that movie is. I mean, that's okay. But it's got whatever, Jim Belushi, the other Belushi (laughs) brother. (laughs) It's got the other Belushi brother in
0: there. old James Belushi.
1: Because I remember watching that and being like, one, I haven't seen this in a very long time. And two, that's Steve Carell. Holy crap. That's crazy. He's like seven. Um, I don't know how he got a job. It's crazy. Uh, um, Clearly his parents weren't watching him. Um. Anyways, so you're listening to, like, I jump back and forth too. I jump between audiobooks and podcasts. Like, I'm stuck on um, actually just listening to so much of the Getting Curious podcast from Jonathan Van Ness. And I've, like, the perspective, it's so interesting, like, listening to him. He talks, he basically brings on an expert of just something that he has a curiosity about, and he just interviews them for, like, an hour and 45 minutes. Um, And he did have a really interesting New Orleans episode, which is cool, but they just go, it's like a massive deep dive. And he normally always has such a positive spin on it, or maybe it's just that he's talking so fast that it feels positive. I'm not Mm -hmm. totally sure, but I absolutely love it. Um, And it did make me think, like, man, I do not listen to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even here is this man who is going like a hundred miles an hour, but whatever the person who knows what they're talking about is speaking, he feels no need to be like, Hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I'll add something. So I think sometimes that I add something in the hopes that people understand that I'm listening. Mm-hmm. It's like my way of showing active engagement when really the best way is to just shut up.
0: <laughs> can I, can I tell you what you do? Cause I've noticed it. Oh, probably not. Okay, never mind. We don't have to discuss it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not know. Okay.
0: But yes, I mean, I think listening is the, like it, it's so when you hear someone who talks as fast as he does, mm-hmm. like actively listen and let the other person get all of their ideas out. And, and sort of let them naturally flow into how they want to express the idea to you. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of eye-opening insofar as like I don't need to always interject my thoughts yeah. <laughs> and how I can relate to you because I want to seem smart.
1: Yeah. Like I try to spin something back towards me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a prime example of this. I asked you what you were listening to.
0: Yes. So, what are you listening
1: to? <laughs> no, I'm already told you. <laughs> I know. I'm. Just- <laughs> so you said you were listening to a podcast about video games, and your second podcast is also about video, about games. video games. It's
0: Min Max. I actually support them on Patreon. That is awesome. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I just think it's so interesting how much of our uh, like theater acting, you know, just the arts profession is engaged in video game mm-hmm. production. You know, you just don't necessarily think about it. And I think that's one of those things that's easy to take for granted. Yeah. Um, because you just have, here's this game that I can literally spend over 100 hours playing and I'm not done. And like people had to touch every single second of that. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it just like blows my mind. Years and years of work. Because yeah, you know. when you
0: think about it, I mean, you have what they call level designers, but we would think of set designers mm-hmm. you know what's the playground in which the player is going to play in yeah and, build and the world yeah and it's not just about because you know they use a lot of mocap in today's mm-hmm. world and they'll sort of have like blank plates for them to sort of maneuver around and, and and get like body movements and all that stuff but there are so many other aspects to it that somebody is creating the grass that grows in those levels so that it like, right, how works it with the wind and- yeah
1: just, that is wild. Oh, it's so cool, though. That is really, really cool. I mean, not cool enough that I'm going to listen to those podcasts, but I'm so excited that yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't have to appreciate it just because, or I don't have to listen. And yeah, I can still appreciate it.
0: Kind of like opera, you know. <laughs> do you do you find yourself listening to more or fewer podcasts these days?
1: Um, I kind of jumped off i think i've jumped off of the podcast i mean i've listened to like i was listening to audiobooks like crazy Mm -hmm. and this is mostly because i've been doing so much you know i've been listening to so many biographies and stuff from um people in the holocaust like just kind of yeah getting my my mind around as much as i possibly can for Anne frank whenever i'm feel ready enough to direct that show um And so I've just been listening to a lot of that. And I honestly like started listening to, to Jonathan Van Ness because I needed some light in my world. (laughs) And so I like broke off and I listened to an episode, um, where he interviewed somebody who was an expert on the Holocaust. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. (laughs) It was like the very first thing that I selected. It was like when I went to JVN, it's like, was completely an accident. I was like, Oh my God, it's everywhere. Um, but what was really cool was that this person was an expert and a professor on this, on like studying the after effects of the Holocaust, like on the world. Mm. And that was very interesting. So, you know, I haven't really necessarily in any of the research that I've done so far, I haven't really gotten into that yet. So it was interesting hearing that side of stuff and then, you know, just kind of how the world has moved on from it. Um like one of the horrifying things that that they talked about was how um people that's in that are like just honestly like maybe 5 or 6 years younger than I am like their generation didn't really learn about the holocaust um only because when you look at like the distance of time mm-hmm. that it's been since it happened but even though it's not been that long it's been long enough that there are other things that are coming up in like history classes. But the other thing that was really kind of crazy that I didn't think about is how long it took to enter the classroom. Like how long this subject took, For sure, you know, for so many people, it was like, um, they kind of talked about it like almost like a, a war fatigue because they, you know, it was every day. It was constant, especially in Europe. Um, it was a massive fatigue, not so much in America, but, in Europe, especially like hearing about the world war constantly and it was everything. And so they didn't want to like go immediately into teaching it. It was like, people didn't even want to talk about it. Yeah. And then eventually whenever it finally did, I mean, it was like in the crazy thing that she brought up was the, the thing that kind of revitalized these conversations was a mini series starring Meryl Streep about the Holocaust. And it was in the sixties, And it was the thing that like brought the Holocaust into like um, pop culture again, I guess you would say, or like into the minds of people. And then it brought it into um, like classrooms and stuff, which is just kind of wild. Um, And I haven't watched that series, but even in Europe, they started watching this series. It became really Oh, it's literally
0: called Holocaust. I just looked it up. That's crazy.
1: Well, because before that, they didn't have a word for it. Mm -hmm. Like that miniseries is, I think... From what I was understanding, and I might be speaking out of turn, but I'm pretty sure that that miniseries is why we call it the Holocaust. Mm, interesting. Anyway, it's just very interesting. So, um, but to answer your question, yeah, I don't listen to as many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll listen to like the ones that I listen to all the time, but, um, you know, like some news stuff that I listen to, and then I'll jump in and out of some. But for the most part, I'm just in audiobook world or like listening to, at the moment, I can't stop listening to the 2023 revival of Sweeney Todd, mm. but that's not in your world. <laughs> That'll just be on my side of things, but it's so good. It's so good.
0: Yeah. I just, I realized the other day that is, I, I I've cut way back on the amount of podcasts that I'm willing to like mm-hmm. there's just a limited amount of hours in the day. Yeah. And um, I used to listen almost exclusively to music almost all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it became podcast and, you know, I moved more into the audiobooks And then once I finish a book, I feel like I need to listen to an album or two to mm-hmm. sort of, um, what do you, what do you, digest it, not digest, <laughs> but sort of uh, give myself the allowance to move on from the book. Oh, yeah, and because then you're kind of like
1: grieving the world yeah, and yeah. the environment you've been in, yeah, that is kind of interesting, because books
0: I, are now really long in the audiobook mm-hmm. world where it's like thirty four hours for, yeah, and you just kind of live in that world thinking of the theories and mm-hmm. stuff, so yeah, well,
1: it was kind of like I've never read um like I've been kind of bouncing in between reading some of the classical stuff, so i've never read I never actually read all of Don Quixote, so i'm I'm like reading that right now, and it is so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i think that's kind of what audiobooks have audiobooks have done for me is they have given me a way to continue to read because i just don't have the time yeah and like i mean i've been literally reading a book that i'm halfway through at this point since eleanor was born like I took it with <laughs> me to the hospital. Yeah. So that's a year and I'm halfway through this book and used to, I could read, you know, a whole book in a day or two. Just because I'm you could there you had the time anymore. To sit down and <laughs> yeah. read. Yet. It's just not, it's just not happening for me anymore. So like the car, we spend so much time in our vehicle. So it's like, this is the space. This is when I can do it. And it's kind and of does a nice she way also to also
0: like Don Quixote or um, no,
1: uh, no. No, she does. She's not a fan. <laughs> so when she's in the car with me, it's, uh, she actually really does like the Harry Potter series. It's kind of wild. There you go. It is kind of wild. Like when that audiobook comes on, she's like stops and listens. It's interesting. Um, so one thing that I was going to, that I was kind of wanting to talk to you about, cause I don't know if you've realized it, um, and it, it is a little weird just for everybody listening because you and I are in a completely new environment recording this right now. We are. And so, I mean, Lord knows, maybe this is going to sound great. Maybe it's not going to sound great, but it is just kind of like it's, it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a bad thing. Um, but I was wondering if um, how you feel about the fact that it has been one year since murder on the Orient Express.
0: Oh, that's true. It officially, as of today. today, has been exactly one year. Actually,
1: it was Thursday, but yeah,
0: yeah, um, <laughs> it's
1: been a year. Like no, tonight, no, while we're recording this, the you had a sold out show tonight.
0: We yeah. Uh, so technically speaking, what was it? It was the thirteenth through the seventeenth. It was mm-hmm. the total run of the show. Um, it's it's a little strange. It's a little weird because I'm. We're legitimately starting uh, uh, Christmas Carol, um, basically in a week and a half or a week and a day um, from the recording of this. And it is, I don't know, very strange and exciting because I had not been a director up to that point. I had not directed anything other than like in directing class. Right. And I don't think that qualifies anybody to... <laughs> I mean, you
1: assistant directed Mockingbird. So you well, weren't just true, like but going out there...
0: You know, understanding storytelling and stuff like that. But, you know, one of the questions that I did have for you coming into tonight's podcast, because we kind of like discussed, let's bring stuff in, is um, what do you think it takes to craft a perfect scene? Oh, my God. Because, you know, that was one of the things that I was worried about and I am still worried about going and I I hope I never lose that stress of trying to build the perfect scene and show.
1: I think that, that it is, at at the at its very core, just always going back to, to basics mm-hmm. every single time of thinking what exactly is the need and the want and how does it change and how does that change them? And I think it's also about, as far as a director, is being okay with changing when something doesn't necessarily work and you have those two people in there or however many people are in there and it's like, this is what I wanted. And these people are clearly not in that space, and so now I'm going to have to pivot, and yeah. I'm going to have to send them down some other avenue, and I'm just going to be okay with going down this road that I may not necessarily like know the outcome, and then we'll see where it happens. And I think that some of that is just being a little bit more fluid. I actually just read this thing uh, Ray Fiennes was talking about his like favorite directors and people that he worked with, and he made this you know long list of all these amazing directors that he's worked with, but he he talked about the, one of the first ones that he, uh, director that he was, that he worked with in film. And I cannot say this man's name because it's, it's Swedish and I'm just not, I'm, it's not going to happen. Um, but he was basically talking about how he kind of not in like an organic, lazy way, you know, <laughs> that we talk about when people say I'm an organic director, which really just means yeah, yeah. you didn't do your job. Um, so I'm just going to let you move. <laughs> solve, Where do you want to go? Solve what my problems think? for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Where do you enter from? Where should you exit? Oh, that's the correct answer. Like, is it? No, you just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but said that he was a lot more like fluid and and was, p- was very present with them and how they arrived in the scenes. And so yeah. it was kind of like he gave them a, you know, kind of like a, not a blank canvas, but it hadn't been fully painted yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. So I think just like looking at it and thinking in its, at its, at its core, what is the most necessary thing for these people? Yeah. Beat by beat. And I think also like unnecessary movement, it's like, you just don't, I think that some people go in there and they're like, okay, I got to move everybody around. They got to be constantly doing something like yeah, they need to be motivated and there ne- there needs to be motivation, but it does not have to be constant. Like mm-hmm. there, there is so much power in stillness. And that was one thing, one of my theater teachers, you know, we and I bring this up all the time in our shows is that you have to earn your moments. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get into a scene and think, okay, this is what's going on and we've got to be firing on all pistons and There needs to be intensity and intention and then when do they earn their moment of stillness Mm -hmm. and letting whatever happens sit on them for a little bit and there has to be a moment, you know, that like build and build and build and build and build and like when you're talking to somebody in an emotional scene, like yeah, you can go in there and you can just like explode and you can be crazy from the get-go, but what does anybody care about that? Nobody has been with you on the journey. They're all with you at the conclusion. If I, if I like, see somebody screaming on the street, I feel bad for that person, but I don't, I'm not invested. Yeah. <laughs> if, I'm, if I wake up with that person and I go with them through the day and I see all the things that make them scream, then I'm invested.
0: But good writing and good monologues will let Not that everything leading up to that, like, it's like, make your point, make your point, make your point, drive it home. Yeah. And that, that I think is the thing that I think a lot of actors get lost in, Mm -hmm. you know, just in an emotional scene or moment. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, you want to go straight for the 100 miles per hour because Mm -hmm. it feels good. I want you to think I'm a good actor. (laughs) It feels good. So you're like, this is what's, this is what's great. I know that they can see that I'm feeling this right now, you know, which is the story that I tell about, you know, pick up the phone. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just crying, 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 crying. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, you're struggling. Like we get it. You can cry real tears, like get over yourself, pick up the phone. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I think, so it's what I, what I was saying was you earn that moment. You're building up towards it. They break and it's about the struggle up until that point fighting against your obstacle. And when you break the interesting thing isn't the breaking. The interesting thing is watching that person break and then try to overcome that mm-hmm. and then get back on board again and, in, and compose themselves. So it's almost like the least interesting part of an emotional scene is not the actual, you know, the part that everybody really wants to do. You know, it's, it's the part that like, oh, look, they're, they're crying and they're so upset. Like that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is what got them there and how they struggled to resist it. And then how did they rebuild from it? Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. I just, I think that it is, that is very interesting that fighting against your obstacle thing. So, you know, working that in, especially in emotional scenes and not allowing everybody to go, you know, if you, if you've got one person over here, that's emotional and the other person is the exact same emotional and they have the exact same energy it's not interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, in real life, if Lexi and I were to ever actually for real argue, which I don't think we ever really have, mm-hmm. <laughs> but if we ever were to really argue, or I guess I should say, I shouldn't even bring argument into it. Let's just not even talk about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if, if Lexi is upset, if I'm also upset, then nothing... Changes, nothing is gonna happen, and yeah. it just is never gonna happen that way. Even if I'm upset, because that's not the way that it works when you're in in any sort of relationship, in a friendship, even if you're upset, I'm not gonna be the same kind of upset, mm-hmm. and vice versa.
0: But we're but the thing is, is like we are upset about different things at different times. Yeah, and so it, it's not like we're both racing to eleven. Right, well, we right both can't be freaking out because yeah. then the world's on fire. And then, you know, in a, in a real aspect, what is there to be gained from having that energy from two people? Exactly. And and not, not I mean, you know, outside of the acting aspect, but, mm. you know, that's, when you put it into context in the acting aspect, it's like, this becomes way more interesting when not everybody is trying to do all of the things all at once. Right. And,
1: you know, like, on top of it is realizing that just because this scene is dramatic doesn't mean that it is all sad. Mm-hmm. And if it is all sad, then what are we doing here? You know? And that is one thing that I know I, I really try um, to bring in some, some funny in every single thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's it's like when we did To Kill a Mockingbird, if it was all sad and people didn't laugh, then nobody would have cared as much. You know, it's like it you bring people in so much more. You well, have to have a little bit of that. And
0: well, well, What's his name uh, from Ted Lasso? Uh, Bert? Um, Bert? Yeah. Brett? He, Brett. Oh, yes. Uh, Brett uh, Goldstein. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Bert. Um, but Brett Goldstein, he talks about how... Um, you know if you have this like sad movie then you've mm-hmm. completely failed the whole story to not have any humor whatsoever
1: yeah if it's just like all one thing it's pointless because mm-hmm. that's just not how life is i have never had any sort of major breakdown and not laughed yeah like never <laughs> anyway it's it's just and that's just kind of a natural thing because of the release of the endorphins in your body like mm-hmm. i mean it's just but it, it I think that people just don't want to do that because it is not edgy. You yeah. Know? The other thing that I, that's kind of been on my mind. Oh, did I answer your question?
0: I mean, you sort of devolved into, you know, just developing the best dramatic scene, but there oh, are other things. I didn't things necessarily too. mean
1: dramatic scene. It was, I just, yeah, that kind of happened. I didn't, but mean it, it, it is about I do like, I think it's all about relationships. Yeah. Relationships, finding the struggle. Need? Where are they coming from? Where are they going? What do they need from Mm -hmm. that other person and how are they going to get it? And also realizing that it's different things. Yeah. And that the scene should include both of those different things. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. Um, And then, of course, you know, just being smart with your movement so that it seems as natural as possible. So it's not like this person was told to walk here and stand there and wait this moment. But I think some of that, like, I know for me, whenever I'm actually watching it, and like I'll have thought it out or do my blocking beforehand and um, and even if I haven't written it down I've read through it and I know how the scene needs to yeah. move all that kind of stuff um, I mean writing it down of course is the best practice but sometimes it just doesn't happen or you're just like oh, I know everything that I need but this one moment I'm not totally there so I want to like get everybody started and then I want to see everyone up there Yeah, and I want to work and create in the moment mm-hmm. and i feel like so much like sometimes i have my absolute best ideas in that even though i could see that it would be stressful for some people you know like well, you got to have a plan like of course you have to have a plan but i do th- love collaborating so much and so like when you have somebody come in and instead of letting that like fear of creating something in the moment destroy you it's more like I'm going to feed off of that energy and see what happens and be open to it and it seems like every single time that I really give myself over to that um, of just having that like baseline of knowing what I want and then being like okay well what else can I figure out in here before we move on I always have the best ideas in those moments Mm -hmm. you know it's like this is where it's always the light bulb moments of this is how you fix it Of course it makes so much sense, but it's so much easier that way. You know, it's very different than whenever you're looking at a page and there are no people and everybody's in your brain or, you know, you do the thing like the writer, Mary Coyle chase used to do with pennies on a fake set and she would move people around that way. And that just seems way too rigid for me. Um, And I think that I approach it so much more of like an actor because I like, I want to know, Like, this is what I would do. Like, if I'm on stage, this is what it would feel like to move this way. You know, and this is where I would want to go over here. And, oh, this is how I would want to react. And then seeing other people and then realizing, of course, nobody else is going to feel that exact same way as me. Yeah. So letting them be them and then seeing moments that I could bring of the stuff that makes me laugh.
0: (laughs) I guess is... The answer, did that answer the question? No, right? no, no, no. I mean, there is no wrong answer <laughs> because I think that every person who is a director or even an actor, you know, are always going to have like different points of view, like, because mm. you always want to have obstacles and you always want to make the world feel lived in. And yeah. that involves creating those relationships. And, um, okay. you know, to, to sort of further speak to that, um, there's this one scene that we had done when, Uh, you had directed um, A Christmas Carol that I was involved in that at the time I thought I don't know if this is coming across in the way that I understand it as an actor but I trust the director enough to do the thing that he asked me to do Mm -hmm. and in reading it now and trying to think about like how I want it staged, I was like and that's why he did it because (laughs) this is the moment that should be punctuated rather than this thing over here
1: that's so interesting
0: and because
1: I'm very curious to know what you don't have to tell me, but I'm very curious to know what the actual scene is. You know? I can tell
0: you off the air or whatever, but like, but, but the thing is like, ultimately at, I trust the director to know the full story mm-hmm. and that I don't know everything. Yeah. And I mean, that, that
1: is a, that is a hard thing as far as communicating with your actors. Sometimes is you never want anyone to feel like they're not the center of attention. Mm-hmm. I guess I should say you don't want your actors to feel like they're not the center of attention. Because if you do, then they relax too much. So it's, it's like you, you have to have this greater vision of where you're going Mm -hmm. and what all needs to happen and where the focus needs to be. But it's, it is very difficult. And I wish that we had all the time in the world to be able to sit everybody down and be like, this is why. Yeah. And you just don't have that sort of time. So, I mean, it's awesome that you trust.
0: Yeah. Because not a lot of people do. (laughs) No. But it is, um, you know, since we're a year removed and I ask you, what is it like to build the perfect scene? I I think about like in Mm. um, uh, Orient Express, Mm. so much of the story revolves around building this mystery Mm -hmm. and laying out these clues and all of these different things that had to be like a bunch of um, set pieces had to be where they were, a bunch of props had to be where they were Mm -hmm. in order to build suspicion. And it was interesting to me to hear audience members thinking, oh, I think it's so-and-so, or I think it's so-and-so. And And to me, it felt like, well, I had done the job correctly in staging it in the way that it should be so that you never know what happens in the end. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, you have to suspect everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, if they know who it is from the beginning, then you failed. And so have the actors. (laughs) Like, everybody has to have that element of suspicion, I think, in a mystery like that. That's awesome. Um, So kind of like going forward from that, just because I'm interested, um, there's been something that I've been thinking about a lot as far as, you know, it's been a very long time since I took any sort of class or since I was directed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And some of that is very frightening. You know, it's kind of like, all right, so like... I am normally the person that's like, all right, I'm doing this. I have to jump in here. I've got to fix this problem. I'm the thing that I have to worry about last, you know, Um, and it'll be okay. And, but there's no way to kind of move forward. And I think that, you know, we talk about acting, it is a muscle, but just doing a show is not enough. You know, you have to have somebody challenging you along the way and trying to make you better and, um, and critiquing you. And so, I and I was kind of talking about this with some some other artists in different art forms, um, a couple of weeks ago. But it is this this thing that I think that we're kind of struggling with in our own um, arts community is that there is no one critiquing anyone. Fair. And there's nobody going in and saying, "Ah, not this time." <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Because what is the thing that everybody says after the show? Oh, it's so good! You did so such good. a good
0: job! Oh my god! It was oh great! Good. Yeah,
1: congratulations! And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's there's like a huge part of me that's like, yes, of course. Tell those people that they did an awesome job. It's not your job, you know. Whenever I go see a show, it's not my job to be like, listen, actually it was kind of rough. Like you were not paying attention. Like you were in and out and I was not invested and it was awful. (laughs) You know, like, this does not, that's not up to me, Mm -hmm. That's somebody else's job. But it is, I do think that it is a problem because I think in a sense, what it has created in our community anyway, is a state of mediocrity Mm -hmm. without any drive to get better. Yeah. Because it's like, well, what I'm doing is great because everybody's telling me. So of course, like it's it's like in any job, if I'm, if I'm, you know, absolutely. If I'm not good at my job and everybody keeps telling me that I'm doing great. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in and they're like, you know, you suck at this, right? Like you're not doing this right. Like you need to do these things. I'm going to think they're an idiot yeah <laughs> because i've got all these other people telling me i'm doing great so i just i just wonder why it is that we've lost this critique thing and hmm. i don't know how to like bring that necessarily back and without being a jerk
0: yeah well you you're there's <laughs> you know no way saying? to do it in a way that makes you look uh vilified yeah in no any there, sort of way. you're an
1: idiot like <laughs> No matter but, what, people are going to hate you for being like. Actually, you know this is because, and that's a whole other thing of the sickness. Yeah. Well, that person said they didn't like the show. They're awful. Yeah. Like I'm not awful. Will you become
0: <laughs> sort of the pariah of the town, and like you're hard to work with, or you're hard? To, and, it's like, and I'm already the pariah, so you, like I definitely yeah, don't need true. any more bad press. But but also in the in, I see what you're saying because there's no good way to go about it. But at the same time, I think critique is such a good.
1: It's the only way that we get better. Yes. The only way that we can be. I mean, that's what I think is like, this is not in any sort of way to be mean, but it's like when I first had come back into town, um, a, a group in particular sat me down and they asked me, you know, you, you've been off, you did, you were in this career doing this professionally, like fresh off the boat in a sense, like I am right out of the industry tell us what we're doing what what should we what should we change is there stuff that we should be doing better is there stuff that we're doing that's not great like what or what are we succeeding in I was like well if you want me to tell you I'll tell you honestly and I did and they like shunned me for that and were like you're a horrible human mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like oh oh okay and since then I just have have kept my opinion to my closest friends
0: yeah <laughs> But the thing that I, I don't understand, because to me personally, like the truth is hard, but it's never bad. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I would rather like what, what, what good does it serve me for people to lie to me my whole life mm-hmm. rather than tell me what I can improve upon? And that's what I want to surround myself with. Like, I don't I don't claim to know that I have all of the greatest ideas, mm-hmm. but if there is a better idea, let's do that. Let's yeah. explore it. Like, I don't need credit for all of it or any of it really. uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) I think I just, I struggle with like, what is it? What is it all for? Yeah. And not even so much. Who's it for? It's, or maybe it is. Who's it for? But it is like, why are, why are you doing it to begin with? Like, what is the purpose of our art form? Of mm-hmm. performance why why are we doing this and why shouldn't people just save their ticket money and put it towards a month worth of entertainment and a subscription yeah and it has to be different and it has to be for a reason so if you tr- I, I feel like the only reason why you would be dedicating as much time <laughs> energy um, blood sweat and tears all that stuff into this art form is because you believe in it And it can't just be because of the gratification that you get. Yeah. And if it is all about gratification, then you're definitely doing this for the wrong reasons. So I just, I I guess that's kind of what I'm worried about. I'm like almost worried that in our particular community, we're going to produce future artists that are just in it for the gratification.
0: Yeah, it's... (laughs) in a way that I don't know that this is the perfect sort of uh, anecdote, but it's like the, the lying down with dogs and you, you're going to catch fleas. fleas, Yeah. 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 Like you're not, (laughs) you're, you're not growing as an artist. Mm -hmm. And if you keep being told that you're doing something right, and then you think that everyone else is wrong.
1: But you have to know. I mean, I
0: have been in shows and I know it's bad. Oh,
1: 100%. And people tell me I know me it's afterwards, bad and I make a
0: mental note after those several
1: rehearsals. <laughs> I'm never working with these people yeah, that's, again. That's all going away. Um, but it's, it's like people come up to you afterwards still and they're like, man, that was great. Wasn't that great? Y'all were having so much fun. <laughs> no, no, no. I just know it's not. And it's not just me that thinks, like, I mean, it's just
0: experience-wise. Anyway, it's just. But it's, you've trained, like, at that point, there are two problems here. It's that we've trained the audience to accept that as good.
1: Well, I think it's also like, yes, I'm sorry, you have other parts. Yeah,
0: yeah, but, and then the other part is that we've trained our performers, directors, and everyone involved in the, the, that this is, like, passable works. And it doesn't.
1: I think that so many people no
0: <laughs> but but ultimately, I don't want like so to to sort of parallel this to something else, right? I don't want to go to the doctor who passed with C's. I want to go to the doctor who passed with A's. Well, of course,
1: and it's uh, I, I guess I just if if you I, I think the, the issue with an audience is that so many people who come to a lot of these shows are doing it in all honesty out of an obligation. Yeah. They're doing it because they know somebody in the show. Somebody told them that they had to come see it or they feel like they need to come see it because they're friends or family. Um, And I'm curious just, you know, like stats wise, how many people in the small community will just go to a show because it was advertised and they don't necessarily know the people in it or the show. Mm. You know, and of those people, what do they think when they come? Yeah. And will they come back? Because I think that the pat on the back that everybody is getting or it's not so much that they like think of theater even as an art form. It's like we did it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) we learned the lines. Yeah, And the show, like we made it all the way through.
0: You remind me of the thing I used to do to my mom and it used to infuriate her. She would build these like thousand piece puzzles and I would take one piece and then hide it from her. She's like, I lost this piece of that and put it in and think, look what we did. We did it. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's just kind of like, I'm I'm getting an applause because we made it from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. Yes. And... There's none of that stuff that makes a perfect scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) anywhere in there. It's just, we did it. That's it. Um, Where are we going to go eat? That's still open. Yeah. I I don't know. I just, I, I, I hope that it changes. I mean, I feel like I hear critiques for my shows all the time, secondhand anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And oddly enough, it's from people, it's from people that have never seen it. (laughs) Also true. (laughs) Which is kind of like. Oh, it's interesting. They didn't come see the show. (laughs) Well, whatever. Cut on them. That's interesting. But it's just, I don't don't know. I kind of wish that we had like a designated anonymous theater critic in our town that would just go and honestly just rip us all to shreds. That's what I wish. Yeah. (laughs) And not give empty praise and just be like, this is what you need to do.
0: But it would be perfect if it were someone who were impartial and outside of our Yeah, that's what I'm sphere. saying.
1: It would have to be somebody like nobody knew. Yeah. That's just anonymous. That's coming in and does it. Moves like for on the their local
0: life. newspaper and does a write up. And yeah. just gets the, the first person first. who
1: used to be the theater critic for the town talk in our, our local newspaper. That's not local anymore, but whatever, um, was Kendall Fromm's mom, Karen, mm. and
0: she didn't care no she didn't <laughs> because did. I read a particular review
1: that ripped someone to shreds she, and I thought oh, they're not wrong she did not she did not care what she like she just told the truth yeah it was like this was my experience I mean the other thing is you really kind of have to have multiple critics you really can't just have one because then we have the same problem you're mm-hmm. only hearing one point of view um, and obviously everybody's opinion is different but I think that the main part of what I'm trying to get across is one I never thought in my life I'd be like we need a theater critic Um, but two is that we need criticism in our art form so that we can grow It's the same thing of none of us know everything. I like, you know, I'm, I'm in a Christmas carol that you're directing and I mean, I've played the role before, but that doesn't mean that that was a completely different Christmas carol. And I mean, I've, I I can't remember the last time that I was directed. So it's kind of
0: like, Ooh, hope
1: yeah, I I can do this. That
0: makes me a little nervous if I'm not if I'm going to be totally honest <laughs> with you was like, you know what? We'll, we'll just see what happens.
1: <laughs> with poor Cody. Is that what you're
0: saying? No, no, no. It's just more like a um you are you, you are very intimate with the show because you you know the writer and um you performed this many times Man, and you have directed know it.
1: Charles Dickens,
0: the writer of this per- particular <laughs> version of the that we're adaptation. Doing. The person who yeah, did. we need a we need a critic That's real what bad. I'm saying. <laughs> so so to me, it's just like you're married to this material in a different way than I am. Yeah. Um and I want to do justice by the material, um, by you, by the, the show in and of itself, and by all of these people who have dedicated their time to performing it with us. Yeah,
1: but I think that you do justice by it by doing the version that is your version. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I, I think that the only way that you don't do justice by it is by not having an opinion Yeah. about the way that you want it to be and mm-hmm. the way that it should be done. Like, it wouldn't be justice to you for me to be making all of your decisions. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I've done that already. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're doing a podcast.
0: Hey, we're doing it. Hey,
1: doing- <laughs> no, I'm saying like, I've done the show already. What yeah. I yeah. Was, what I was meaning. I understand what you got there, but. Anyway, um, so hopefully somebody will come and critique the hell out of you is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> I hope and, so. And uh, with that, I think that it is time for us to answer a Lexi question. This is a news segment of Scene Partners podcast. Where we're going to have a question from the <sighs> Lexi of the podcast. This is a question for you, Chris, that I'm not, I have not not read That's i've not a, read mine either. I mean, yeah i just i just it's for it. both of us by the way um, this is not just for no me. this is yours okay what is one show you wish <laughs> wouldn't exist
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay Just right off the hit this is not fair because there is a particular version of a show that i wish wouldn't exist and that's not fair to the entirety of the show so i should not say oh that just just, just say it. i was gonna uh, no because the show is really good but i've i've seen a very bad version of it and what is the show cat on a hot roof
1: oh my gosh um that how being said world? Just because you can wish that experience away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could see this never
0: again. Um,
1: that is actually a really brilliant play, and I, I do understand now why you didn't
0: want to necessarily put that under the exactly. It's Exactly. Like, it's th- that's not fair because that was my first incident. Of, like, I wish I wouldn't have sat through this. I mean, this. in the
1: same vein, you could have said cats.
0: No, no. That is the actual answer. Cats.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's the actual answer for me. Sitting too. through
0: it. It should not exist. I don't know why it exists. Who is it for? Not for me. Basically,
1: Stephen Sondheim said the same thing. Mm-hmm. He was like, I I was like trying so hard the whole time to. There's this interview where he's talking about it and he was like trying to figure out what it was about. And I went up to Andrew Lord Weber afterwards and I was like, Andrew,
0: like, what have you done? He's like, No, you see, they're cats. That's it. <laughs> so <laughs> That's I'm going like, to tell you my very first experience with that terrible show. Oh, I went to watch it. And then I didn't, I thought there was a through line through every single show that you ever Oh, you're trying, watch.
1: you're trying so hard to piece it all together. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So th- then it, it, it occurred to me five songs in, they're just singing about their names.
1: That's it. It's because it's all based off on a book of poetry.
0: And then I'm watching this and I think this might be the worst written thing I've ever it's seen. It's the longest
1: introduction. Yeah. What? My name is McGavity. My name is... <laughs> It's the only cat that she I could try remember. To the bar,
0: cats come around the outside?
1: <laughs> that would be, I would go see that show, actually. <laughs> <laughs> go see that in a heartbeat.
0: It can be the, uh, the, the Elvis like cat or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't know the names. Yeah, me
1: neither. Uh, McCavity is like all I got. Legit. That's yeah. all I got. Sorry, Taylor.
0: Mm. Um, so uh, the next question for you is that the same answer for you, cats? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all the right. one. Starlight Express. Um, <laughs> just really anything that Andrew... I mean, just all of it. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, all right, here's the Lexi question that she gave me. If you could only perform one show for the rest of your life, think Groundhog Day, um, what would it be?
1: Not Groundhog Day.
0: It would not be Groundhog Day. Well, she, she's saying, like, think Groundhog Day. Yeah, like no, you, I know. You perform I know. this for the first time every day. And I'm day. saying
1: it would not be Groundhog Day, the musical. <laughs> Which exists. It is kind of of funny, but now wouldn't be it. Um, One show forever. I mean, I feel like we kind of are performing one show forever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to say that, and then I thought, like, with the stipulation that I don't ever get tired, like like my body doesn't actually physically hurt.
1: I'm trying to think if this should be, like, a show that I have done. Because really the most fun shows, I mean, of course, like the tuna stuff that we do is always the most fun, but it is so exhausting. It takes so much from me. <laughs> I mean, it gives, but Lord, does she take. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if I've ever done a show where I'm like popping steroids and doing shots just to get through. it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Same, um, oh man! I I've, but I'm trying to think. Is it's really, and this is odd, but it's like shows that I get to have some sort of fun, something fun, something emotional, and lots of breaks. Mm-hmm. Like that's where my mind is going.
0: <sighs> like for me, I think I have. It, it's really hard because I have certain experiences tied up into certain shows, right? Yeah. Um, because you know that Anne Frank is incredibly special to me, Mm -hmm. but also, um, I think of Tuna and how much fun that is. But then I think how much coming back and doing, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was after our, you know, year-ish hiatus.
1: I could probably do that show forever.
0: Yeah. Which
1: I don't know if I necessarily want to live. That's the other thing is that you just basically like you wear that character for so long, you Mm -hmm. know, so that's hard. I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to necessarily live in that world forever of hate, even though I understand that's not what all of the play is about. But there's just so much hate in there. It's hard to overcome.
0: I didn't, I didn't, I loved how much and how little I had when you directed uh, A Christmas Carol. <laughs> same. <Because laughs> but you know, it's weird. Playing I Fred and Young Scrooge, way. it was just like, you know what? I'm on him off.
1: Man, man, that's a really good track. Yeah, I'm on I'm, I'm off.
0: A really, really good track. And you have like this humorous side, then you have this very dramatic side, mm-hmm. and then you can just kind of like coast through the rest.
1: Yeah. It's always these types of questions that drive me crazy because I know the answer isn't necessary. It feels like the answer is going to define my entire life. Yeah, and like everybody's going to know so much about it. it's like the it's it's like crazy vulnerable, even though I know it's really not. But I feel like it's so telling. It's not a musical. I'll tell you that it <laughs> no. is not a musical for me. Um, it is definitely going to be a straight play. Would would I prefer it to be Shakespeare? A hundred percent. Even a Restoration comedy. That's one thing I'll say. So maybe the most fun that I've had on stage that was probably frivolous was in this play called The Recruiting Officer. Mm -hmm. And I played a character whose name was Brazen. He literally was just Brazen. Like that was... (laughs) How very on the nose. It was very on the nose. It was written... I want to say his name is George Buchner. Um who actually? It is the first play that was produced in the United States. Was the recruiting officer? Um, yeah, he like fled the United Kingdom because he uh, killed somebody on stage with a real sword, and they thought that he <laughs> did it. <laughs> this is yeah the playwright, um, and because it used to like a long long time ago, whenever they would do stage combat. They would have, um, like, actually Shakespeare did this for a little while whenever he was young um, and up and starting, but they would send somebody down to the butcher. I don't know, if I ever told you this before? Yeah, so they would send somebody down to the butcher for when they were doing fights. They wouldn't use, like, what we use, like, stage combat swords that were dull or anything like that. Yeah. Um, And they would basically get the blood that was left over from whatever was butchered, um, and then they would do things like, you know, get the stomach and they would fill that with with blood and they would wear it uh. so that when they were fighting it was like a medieval blood pack yeah. today um, but they would actually have to slice it with the sword to get it to to bust oof and so it was they were, he was in a feud with another actor and he i mean a lot of people died a lot of people died in this point in time in theater but you know people would sometimes you know, possibly killed the person on purpose and be like, oh, it was an accident. We are in a play. Um, so anyway, so that was kind of the thought with him. And so he did that and he fled to America and he had written this play and they did it. Um, but the role was so much fun. It was like, I got to, the show itself was really funny, but there's something about restoration comedies that are just ridiculous. You know, oh, it's like farcical sure, yeah. and, in nature and it's also like how can I make this as real as possible even though it's absolutely ridiculous so there's something challenging so even though it's kind of bizarre to say that I would want to do that show forever but I think I could do that show for a long time mm. this was fun I even got the sword fight in it it was kind of heightened language I got to be ridiculous I wore a two foot tall buffalo hat it was awesome <laughs>
0: I did enjoy Midsummer Night um, quite a bit.
1: Oh, yeah. I could I could play. I could do that, too.
0: Like, and, and I played Since a lover. hard about this?
1: I'd be like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. That would be awesome.
0: I played a lover, but it was, it, it's almost th- that thing where the the, the thing, the show finds find you at this perfect time, yeah, almost, does, yeah. and I don't know, like, I could play any of those things things because i loved how isolating my role was in and frank but then i loved how much fun i had playing a lover in like i don't know it's this that's also very very
1: very, you know as far as like trying to repeat an experience maybe it's not the repeat of the experience because that's the way i think of it is like oh i want to repeat the experience yeah so i'm thinking of it Oh, i'm doing this play with these people yeah but maybe it's just you're doing the play yeah i don't know They're, they're so interlinked in my mind
0: but I will say I will say, I think if I could pick any play that I was a part of and have that experience and have that thing happen every single night, it would be little women because that very first night sitting there, you grabbed me by the shoulder and showed me um, all of the actors lining up to watch this last oh, scene. Yeah, yeah. Was gorgeous and it was beautiful.
1: That's true. I don't know if Devin could survive it though. You know, <laughs> that was, that was, be, but if it's like Groundhog a, Day, that was her tour de force, and
0: we're the only ones that know it, oh, that would be, yeah, I didn't that would be my experience dog. to have.
1: That would be, you know, you kind of wonder when would you make it in, into the play that you just started totally messing around because you knew that you'd just be back there the next day anyway. So would you be like <laughs> every single <laughs> day do you know that changes the game that changes the game because that happens in groundhog day he gets ridiculous (laughs) he's like give me 25 donuts whatever he's like pouring coffee on everybody he's like crazy then it has to be tuna. he drives the he drives the truck off of the yes but in a way it's almost more fun if it's a serious play just like why is he wearing a chicken suit oh and just watching everybody freak out about it, but it's okay. Cause the next day you're showing up there and nobody knows you did that.
0: That's true. That's
1: true. <laughs> but I do kind of wonder like you have that opportunity, but I almost feel like with that particular production, when we were doing it, I don't know if I would ever feel like it was worth messing
0: it up. Exactly. It's not that I want to chase that feeling for the rest of my life, but I would love that feeling every night yeah. for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, that was really awesome. Just kind of the, the whole experience was really great, but I I do that's just one of those where you you really hope that every one of them is knocking it out the park like that. You know? Yeah. But yet again, what an awesome thing to strive for, which is the whole point I think is that you want to strive for that every time, but like I know that I don't like with every show, I know that they're not all like that. Yeah. I want them to be all that way, and I will try really hard to get them there, but just sometimes it just doesn't happen. You know, not everybody goes to the World Series. So then that's kind of what that felt like. But I do think that you can always, you know, try. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like sometimes even <laughs> minimal effort. But, I mean, you can't just be like, man, we just got to try to get through this show. That's the thing that I hate, though, so Oh, my so freaking much. God. When people say, oh, well, you know, we just... We just gotta get through it. Or whenever people say it's it's the we just gotta get through this show. Um and then when it's done, it's the well we made it. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> okay. So this was pointless. Mm-hmm. Um way to way to go us, we memorized some lines and set it in front of people. Let's all go home and go to bed. Um nobody's changed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. And then the
1: other thing, there was a part two. Um, I can't remember what it was. I felt really strongly about it, though, man. Man, I felt real strong. But not enough to say it. Apparently not. It's gone. Gone forever. Well, We should be gone. I mean, we really should. We've probably been doing this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. But I really am excited for Christmas Carol. Me too. And I'm also, you know, pumped for the joy There's a whole lot of joy in that show. So I'm really pumped. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Chris and Cody starring in Scene Partners Podcast.